I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Good morning. You're listening to the Arts House on Corks 96 FM and C103. It's great to have your company. I'm Elmarie Ma at the microphone with you until 10. Connor Tallon's also here in studio. I'm here and ready. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's not wearing the red and white. I am. <laughs> You don't know what I'm wearing underneath my jumper. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, on the road in today, it was just fantastic. We could already see cars and vans getting... We actually overtook a van on the Ballincollig Bypass. With eight flags. I was going to say, not one, not two, not three to four to five to the six to the seven, ladies and gentlemen. Eight Eight flags. flags. Now, if you are in that white van and you were listening this morning, give an extra big beep because he was beeping everyone who was going past and we could already hear and see the atmosphere. You come into town, there was guys in their hats, their jerseys, uh, waving at their friends, heading down to meet the buses on the quay. I mean... There were a rebel cowboy on the bridge. (laughs) It's unbelievable. (laughs) And loads of red jerseys and white jerseys and all that sort of thing in the cars around us as we were coming through. So Mm. there is a great atmosphere. It is a day to celebrate and it's a day to just, you know, urge each other on. So we're going to have uplifting music during the course the morning if you're in a car and you're driving on and you want us to play something for you or say hello to everyone in the car please make sure it's not the person who's driving who's doing the texting you know that you can text your whatsapp at any stage to 0833 96 96 96 because the GAA is part of our culture so this is the show in the morning where we talk all about the arts and the culture and I guess today GAA wins, but we're going to have more on that a little bit later on in the program, okay. as well as, of course, some fantastic stuff that's happening in Cork for the rest of the week, celebrating everything that has been made in Cork. We're talking about Cork Craft Month. We're talking about Design Pop. We're talking about live theatre with an audience in a theatre. Connor. Well, and I'm talking about our usual work of the week as well, but this time... 
I suppose we're looking at well, life over the last year, year and a half and what would you do? What would you do if you accidentally stepped on something and kind of lost your balance and how do you kind of re <laughs> re kill to I yourself? I wouldn't want to be recorded <laughs> anyway, that's the first thing. <laughs> exactly. So Debbie Godsell has a piece called Stray Sod and it's based on an old saying, an Irish saying, what to do when you step on a stray sod? And Sam Wynn, costume designer extraordinaire, has been working for Nano Nagel, putting together an exhibition there and she's telling us how all of that was put together. There's that and loads more. Meanwhile, starting off with some classic cork, it's Ruby Horse. We used to lose ourselves staring at the stars And there were hundreds of birds orbiting our hearts And we were searching
sound there of Ruby Horse, I Want to Get Lost. What an anthem, isn't it? Yeah, if only you could fill a stadium with mm, songs mm, like that. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> no, we can. More of that later. <laughs> now then, how many of you had uh, memories of growing up with various religious orders running the school that you were in? I went to St. Vincent's and I had uh, my education with the Sisters of Charity there. And I remember so many of them very fondly. And I know lots of people do indeed uh, remember the nuns that they went to school with. And the habits that they wore. And I suppose I was coming through the end of the 70s and through the 80s where there would have been nuns at various stages of habits. We had one nun who was the most amazing musical legend, Sister Benedicta, and she really wore still the old habit. There was layers and layers and layers, it seemed like, to her skirt. And her she didn't wear the full white wimple around her face, but she had a... Maybe she did, is my memory playing tricks with me. It's, it's that long ago. But, you know, she did have the really older style of habit, whereas there were some other trendy nuns who were kind of wearing grey skirts and little cardigans and that sort of thing. And I'll always remember there was one nun, Sister Beatrice, who like absolutely rocked our world when she wore a tracksuit for PE. We couldn't get over it. And another habit story, and this is all the habits I'm thinking of, when we were coming back from a choir competition, probably in Killarney or something like that, and it was the days before seatbelts on the bus, let's say, we were all doing ruchacha, ruchacha down the middle of the aisle, and the bus braked, and we all fell forward, and everyone was scrambling and grabbing onto the backs of seats to stop themselves collapsing, and one girl grabbed onto the principal's veil and accidentally, obviously, ripped it off. And of course, we were all in shock that she had hair and a hairband. You know, it was amazing. And it's funny, isn't it, as a child, the kind of things that stick in your head as visual pictures and that sort of thing. And that's all by way of leading into Nanonagel Place, which is the most amazing cultural centre in the heart of the city, but which is, of course, set where the Presentation Sisters uh, built and established their convent with Nana Nagel. And there's a really interesting exhibition there now. It's called Changing Habits, 250 Years of Convent Life. And the exhibition includes artefacts from the collection of objects held by the Presentation Sisters. And it also features recreations of a complete set of nuns' habits through the years. Like the oldest kind of habit was worn by the Presentation Systems Sisters from 1805 is one of the pieces. And behind that, they had to reconstruct the habits. They couldn't get the originals. So they got costume designer Sam Wynne in to do this particular job. And the most extraordinary project that she's ever done. So I spoke to Sam, whom everybody was calling Sam. I see that the nuns are calling you affectionately Sam. It's like... <laughs> You've become friends over the last while, haven't you, working on this project? Yes, absolutely. And they've been marvellous with the information they've given me because trying to work from photographs and descriptions is very difficult. The sisters have been absolutely marvellous in saying, oh, this is how we put it on and this is what it looked like and giving me information from many years ago. (laughs) This is a most unique project. Have you ever done anything quite like it? No. No, No, it's been a real privilege. Yeah. I've been absolutely delighted. To, to be a part of it. It's a huge privilege. Let your work speak for itself. If we just go over and look at one sure. of the pieces that you'd like to talk about. <laughs> okay. Because what we're looking at when we come in the door, and the nuns were saying earlier on that they have to remind themselves that they're not real. <laughs> yes. Um, this is a postulant, the postulant dress that was worn, and the sisters here remember wearing it. And it 
It's my favourite one because I just I love the. It has white cuffs on it and a little white collar. And, and a very simple bow around the neck. Yes, yeah. yes. They had their little black velvet bow. Yeah. And this cap is a replica of one that was in the archive. Yes. Now these sisters didn't wear something like this. It's older than their vintage, but it is a, a reasonably accurate replica of the one. The one in the archive. What really charmed me about it is. It has a red cap inside, a red knitted cap inside that was used as the base to make the external cap yes, black. Yeah. So when you take it off, it's got a red cap inside, <laughs> which I thought was really lovely, because obviously it's all just black and white. There's no colour. So, so this is this is a lace <laughs> black lace cap. Yes. It fits on the head. It fits on the head and it has a little lace veil. Ah, I didn't see back. that. Yes. That was hidden away. That hangs yes. down the back. So mm. it looks rather like something that would be very simply worn at a wedding, you know? Um, yes, yes, only perhaps not in black. <laughs> ex- exactly, no. But, but it, yes, it's, it almost reminds me of like a Victorian morning cap or something, yes, which is yeah. a, a little odd. But uh, this is something that certainly one postulant wore at some point because there is, there is one mm-hmm. in the archive. And they had these lovely little black capes and they're really beautiful dresses. They kind of remind me, I suppose, of a soutane that would have been worn by, say, priests and brothers yes. as well, the top part of it anyway. Yes, yeah. it, yes it is quite similar. Yeah. And they had, they had a, a petticoat underneath it that went down to their ankles as well. Okay. And what's fascinated me about some of these things, it's, it's a small thing, but it's the pockets yeah. that they had. <laughs> and the pockets weren't in the dress, they were in the petticoat, and you had a gap in the seam, yeah. at the side seam, to get into your pockets in your petticoat. And that was the same in the habits as well. And I think that comes from the very old habits when, before the time when pockets were actually put in garments, they were separate things that you tied around your waist and you accessed them through. How come they held so much? Well, yes, (laughs) that was it, because I made some replicas. Again, there's one in the archive, and I don't know what vintage it is, but I made replica ones. And it has two pockets. It sort of hangs down, quite far down your side. You tie it on, and it has two pockets in. And one of the sisters said she remembered one of the older nuns used to always produce pencils and things from this magic pocket she had. Uh, All sorts of things, yes. Sam, what's your normal work? I'm a costume maker. Yes. So I do make costumes, but nothing like this before. I usually work for pantomime, and I also work with puppets and things. Who got in touch with you, and how long did this take place? Oh, it's just going on since April. A colleague of mine... Joan Hickson, who is a costume designer who I've worked with on a, a lot Joan of... Well. You know Joan well. Yeah, yes. I've worked with her on a lot of projects. We did a small amount of work for, for Danielle previously. Yeah. And Danielle contacted Joan, said, would you like to do this project? Joan said, I haven't time, but Sam will do it for you, I'm sure, she probably, if she has time. <laughs> so, fast forward to today. What did you build in the end? Well, a habit from the sort of 1800s, which mm. is the one behind you there, yeah. which was all done from a book because obviously there's no pictures from then, and there was, there was very specific instructions as to how the habit was to be made, for the most part, and then there was gaps where I had to make it up mm-hmm. because I didn't know what to do. All the undergarments and everything I made for that because it's not just the habit. They wore chemise and they wore stays and they wore a petticoat and then they wore the habit. And then they have their gamp and they have the, all the things that go on their head, which was extraordinary because it's all held together with pins and looking at a photograph, you'd never think that. I would never have been able to work out how the headpieces worked unless one of the nuns had sat down with me and said, this is what you did to get this thing on. <laughs> because you just couldn't understand how it goes and the, the different elements to it and how it stays together. 
there was a postulant, there is a, a habit from the sort of 1950s, 1960s, which was a more modern version of the 1800s one. Yeah. It was still the same kind of, made from the same fabric and the same kind of idea, but changed, there were subtle changes. And then we have the, the next one up, where they went into something that was actually very similar to the postulant's dress. Then the habits became more generic after that. I'm just reading there behind you in one of the panels that the formal habit as such didn't exist in the early days. And when they did come up with something, they wanted something that was very understated because it had to do with they were being persecuted. Yes, and I find it kind of... I find it difficult to associate the habits that I made with understated because they're really... they're quite... um, how shall I say, um, imposing and, you know, I had mine dressed, I had one of these dressed in my studio for a while and every time I walked in there, (laughs) I was doing a double take, you know, because she was quite imposing. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly created a certain amount of respect anyway. Yes, but then I suppose these sisters were closed orders, so they weren't out, so people didn't see them. Exactly. Not until more recently. Yes. But I have huge respect for the women who wore these because... They're made from very heavy wool. Yes. And they have a very heavy wool petticoat underneath, and it's not just the habit, there's another layer of wool underneath that. And they wore it all year round. And one of the sisters told me actually here, because I was talking to her this morning about putting on all the the veil pieces, the things that go onto the head, and she said we had a prayer for each piece we put on, and it was a privilege to put it on, which I thought was really lovely, because I hadn't heard that before. Well, Um. (laughs) Sam, it's been a privilege to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. And for you to be able to tell us what it was like to, I suppose, become part of their history and yes, to, is... to recreate it and pass it on for generations to come. Yeah. It's been an amazing project for me, really, absolutely. Okay. Thoroughly enjoyable. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you very much. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. And that explains why I used to picture so many layers of skirts and everything, because there there actually were. Do you know what was really cute about that and sweet was the little red cap that was hidden away under these imposing veils you'd never Nobody know. Nobody knew. Nobody knew, yeah. But I was—I do remember being a, ch- a child, uh, I suppose you call it low babies and high babies, senior infants, <laughs> junior infants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I called it low babies and high babies in the first year. I was in a convent and uh, I just do remember these magic pockets, all right. Sweets used to appear from <laughs> from nowhere all the time. You were spoiled, so you were. <laughs> we all were, yeah. Listen, hope you're enjoying the programme this morning. Here's more great Cork music. This is Johnny Fang and Chris Ahern from an album of theirs called Apollonia. And another one for this morning, I Want to Believe. I want to, I, I want to believe. I want to believe. So show me a sign. Show me a sign. I want to believe so I can ease this troubled mind. Now I don't need a revelation in a blinding flash of light. It gives me a sign that I might believe tonight. I never love somebody, love someone, the way that I love you, I love you, and baby I've got a feeling this time could be true, now I can't read the future, but for now it feels alright, won't you give me a sign that I might believe tonight? Please, let me know 
show. It could be a smile. It could be a smile. I'm looking your eyes. Right. It could be the way you touch my hand as you walk by. You will have to write it in stone. Not even in black and white. Won't you give me a sign that I might believe tonight? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now 
then it's time to take a look at what's making the headlines in the Sunday papers today. Connor. Well, I look at the Sunday Times and uh, there's an interesting story there about floods hitting Dublin shops after a downpour. You wouldn't think it this morning when you look out the window, but the shopping centres in South County Dublin were flooded yesterday by heavy rain across Leinster. In Dundrum Town Centre, several restaurants and shops had to shut, including River Ireland, Gino's Gelato, Beat, Zara, Nando's and all that. And uh, they said that they're currently experiencing isolated flooding in the Pembroke District and Levin Wollenbat Mall and all of that. They had last flooded in 2011, so that goes to show you how heavy the rain was in uh, Dundrum which is where I ended up after I went to that convent. I ended up in Dundrum National School. What a shock that was. <laughs> You're just flying your Dublin flag here now, the studio colour, and it's not going down well on this side of the desk at all. <laughs> Next story, please. Okay. Um, there's a land agency that's <laughs> going to get uh, 3,000 million more to build houses. That's very good news altogether, I suppose, in terms of the government campaign. But speaking of the government, the Irish Mail on Sunday, according to a poll, uh, voters tell Mark to step down. Uh, Shane Dorn writes under the subhead of 54% of public don't want Taoiseach to become Taunashta. Michal Martin should step down as Fianna Fáil leader when his term as Taoiseach ends next year. A majority of represent respondents sorry, to an Irish Mail on Sunday Ireland thinks poll believe. So that's according to the Irish Mail on Sunday in a poll that they did. But the um, good news, on, the main good news on the, on the front page there is Kelly goes back to work holding her gold medal and 22 million booster jabs for Ireland. Ireland will have access to 22 million COVID-19 jabs for a booster campaign and enough doses to last into next year, the Irish Mail on Sunday can reveal. The Sunday Independent, Cabinet unhappy as delay in reopening on cards. Political decision, in inverted commas, on the next steps. The finishing line keeps moving. That's according to Philip Ryan, the political editor, and some quotes from that article there on the front page of the Sunday Independent. Brendan O'Connor simply writes, living with COVID all over again. On to the Business Post, government to crack down on Airbnb hosts with a raft of new rules and insurers agree to appoint and pay for independent experts and the word independent is in inverted commas as well but we'll finish with Martin open full capacity venues to those vaccinated this is by Peter O'Dwyer for the Business Post full capacity venues should be opened to vaccinated people from the start of the reopening of the entertainment sector Arts Minister for Catherine Arts Minister Catherine Martin has proposed Martin last week told um, industry representatives that she'd brought a draft plan for the sector to the Cabinet Subcommittee on COVID-19, but had her proposals knocked back by government colleagues. And it's understood that the plan presented to ministers two weeks ago outlined proposals for a return to full capacity indoor events for the fully vaccinated. The Green Party deputy leader is also understood to be pushing for indoor arts, drama and dance classes to reopen in September, in line with the reopening of schools. 100%. 100%. Children need it. They yeah. absolutely need it. Well, I don't so. see the difference between, as you say, like a one-man show uh, performing to a small house of, what, 25 and a teacher standing in front of a classroom of, you know, 
we'll come on to that again a little Absolutely. bit a little bit later yeah. in the program. Yeah. Um, and we want to say hello to everyone who's heading off up the road to Dublin as well, texting or WhatsApping to 0833 96 96 96 if you're sending your good wishes and looking for Cork music and stuff like that to inspire you along the way. Uh, Michael has asked for this one uh, <laughs> and it's a great one. Again, another blast from the past. This is a, a piece from Clonard's and it's Robin Hood. Admittedly, I'm not a superstitious person, but I do recognise a coincidence when it happens. The artist Debbie Godsell looks at an idea of what would happen if you stepped on something that knocked you off balance, off kilter, and how would you put yourself back onto an even keel? How has society tried to put itself back onto an even keel over the way things have happened over the last year and a half? So to look into this... I had the help of 
assistant curator, Michael Waldron from the Crawford Art Gallery. Michael, I've literally just had a chance to look at this week's Work of the Week. And, I mean, we have a pet word for it now. We call it W-O-W, Work of the Week. Wow, like, you know, and I've just been going, wow, 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 what an extraordinary image. It's called Stray Sod, and it's a screen print by... Debbie Godsell. It's based on Irish folklore, Michael. It is, and it's very fitting for this week as it's been Heritage Week. So we selected this kind of on purpose. It takes its idea from Irish folklore. Yeah. Maybe we'll dive into the theme before we describe it. Okay, I do. I suppose I'll use the words of the artist herself. So the artist Debbie Godsell has said that Irish folklore is underpinned by the understanding that the world is not a fixed place. For example, when a person inadvertently stands on a stray sod, they experience the disorientating sensation of the Mascon Mary, an Irish expression loosely translated as confused direction. (laughs) Quite literally, the person would no longer have their bearings in the world, and to counteract the effect, they would turn their coat inside out or backwards and the seen world would return to normal. So it's reset button. Exactly, yeah, yeah. We could all use one. That is extraordinary. I've had a very odd week. I had to go to the doctor on Friday to find out why I was getting certain dizzy spells, you know. I've literally just gone through that. And in a funny way, he just telling me that I was okay, all right. There was nothing seriously wrong, did all the usual checks and said, not your grand. That was my reset button, I suppose. You go to a professional and he looks at you and checks everything. But what what do you do in the good old days when you step on a stray sod or something knocks you out of kilter or things are out of shape? And to be honest with you, you know, the world mentally has had a huge need for a reset button. I find the arts is my reset button. I say a lot of other people do too particularly going into a gallery like the Crawford Art Gallery, it just, it helps you reorientate yourself or take you away from the concerns of the present. And here's somebody who's actually decided to make this the subject of their work of art. It looks like a photograph, a black and white photograph, an old black and white photograph that you discovered up in the attic. Yeah, and for all the world, that's what it is. A fairly large print, over two feet tall, and monochrome in in that we really only have tones of black and grey and white. But it does feel a little bit like one of those very old sepia tone photographs. And what we have is a figure standing in the middle of what seems to be a field. We're quite close up to them. Behind there is gorse or furze bushes in the distance, some evergreen conifers. Yeah. But the figure itself, it does seem slightly ominous when we look, because while the figure seems to be facing forwards, they're wearing a long tunic or coat to below the knee, legs are bare, and they're wearing a hood covering their face. The tunic or coat is on backwards. So it seems a little bit maybe slightly sinister, but as the artist herself says, she says that it represents the anxiety and disruption within the world that's characteristic of present times. So even though it's from Irish folklore and looks old, it's actually a new image that was only made in the last two years. Her comment on where we find ourselves and Maybe if we go back into our own heritage, our own folklore, 
we'll find stories that help guide us through, you know, what did people do in the past yeah. when maybe they didn't fully understand something, but they had they had a means of of getting out of out of trouble, as it were. I hope the artist doesn't mind, but it wouldn't be out of place in a, a zombie movie. <laughs> I mean, it does. I mean, it does call to mind a little bit like a horror movie in some ways, yeah. which makes it really compelling because you kind of you're intrigued. It's interesting, you know. Why do we go to art galleries? Why do we look at art? Well, sometimes we do it for escapism, of course, but sometimes we want to be confronted with things that are on our mind. This sort of eerie image plays well to that. We're all familiar with <laughs> the, the past eighteen months and the feeling we've had and how out of kilter everything has been. And so something like this is kind of very relatable at, at, on one level. You know, we kind of recognise it and we go, yeah, <laughs> let's put our coats on backwards. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Inadvertently putting your coat on backwards and putting the hood over your head, you're literally doing quite the opposite. You're achieving the opposite. You're lifting the hood from your head. You're, you're taking away something that's impairing your vision, something that has disorientated us and a lot of people are kicking back against it as well particularly in the arts a lot of people are complaining about why are we at the end of the queue why are our freedoms not as important as other people's freedoms you look at other areas where numbers larger numbers are allowed to assemble yet the the arts are being told no you're only allowed to have you know maybe up to 50 in certain venues under certain circumstances and yet you can see tens of thousands of people assembling in, in, in other areas under the same laws and conditions that are designed to keep us safe. But it's having a counteractive effect in that we feel that perhaps, I suppose, we're not being allowed to navigate our own path. Yeah, and I suppose that's kind of, it's all the kind of the topsy-turviness of everything, isn't it? And it it's, nothing is really settled right. It's, it's uneven. And I think this artwork is kind of about that unevenness as well. Things, you know, if you're on uneven ground, you find yourself a little bit put out or things aren't aren't sitting well. And even, I, I, I think, I'll draw it into even how the artist makes this print. It's a screen print. So, you know, Andy Warhol did screen prints. Mm -hmm. But this is a screen printing process. And I won't go into the details because <laughs> it's very technical. But the artist says that it isn't colour fast. So what it means is that the, the colours themselves aren't fixed. So the print will change slightly over time. Now, it won't change very noticeably to our eye, but it may slightly discolour over time. And that's the point of it. Nothing has a fixed point. Yes. We're always moving and... And so maybe the rules, we hope the rules will will change for the better as well. Yeah. We, we live in hope. The conclusion that you can draw from this is that this too will pass. Yeah, I think that's kind of the mentality be, behind probably, I'm not a, an expert in folklore, but that's probably why, you know, these things come into our world and why people hold on to certain ideas you know, a Pishog, mm. an old wives' tale, whatever you want to call it, mm. we hold on to them because they have some sort of value of maybe guiding us, particularly when we're not quite sure where we should go. So I find this a really compelling, very arresting image. It is slightly haunted, mm. but also I think it will really draw you in. It's on show at the moment <laughs> in the heart of the gallery. 
also part of our New Threads exhibition. It's surrounded by all sorts of things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks as well. Things will pass. Things always change and things always change for the better. As we've said before, you're a glass half full person. So am I. (laughs) Michael, thanks again this week. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a million, Connor. The Arts House with Griffin's Potatoes, feeding Cork families with delicious Griffin's New Seasons Queens. Find them on Facebook at Griffin's Potatoes. Oh, what a day it's going to be later on today. I'm almost exhausted already. Never mind everyone who's up since like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock this morning and on the road already. And if you are driving at the minute, it's great to have your company uh, here on the Arts House in the morning. And if you're back in Cork then during the week, or in fact, if you're around in Fitzgerald's Park at some stage, particularly with the children for the last kind of days of August, don't forget we're celebrating Cork's Playful Culture Trail and Sample Studios are hosting a residency in the Lord Mayor's Pavilion until the 9th of September. The artist in residence there is Eleanor O'Donovan and there's a beautiful exhibition in there called Brain Worms and Eleanor's work really caught everybody's attention in the notes to Cork uh, to Cork's campaign on billboards all around the city with her whimsical sort of cloud pictures. They were only gorgeous. They made everybody smile and they were popping up all over Instagram. So it's a great exhibition for families and check it out in the Lord Mayor's Pavilion uh, in Fitzgerald's Park. Now, Tashi Untach Igoni Kyonua Achlashtoil. So Kirtwin Kyonua O'Clair Sands, Squilagamahi Rin Tachten, and Kyon Shokomhadan Saura, Strakiolatokid, not Tirdracha, Agus Fumdracha, Landscapes and Soundscapes, in a Dainshi Oitigan Kun Aron Nua Homa Le Kyol Tori Exula, Agus Ismaskon Aum, Ider Gailge Agus Berla, Ingach Aron, Agus Ntamsha, Vishay Gobber Le Breedin. Untoch ve bio on Tanimata air, Agsis Bralam and Karshi is the Honiglesine. It's an ode to the Irish summer and all that it entails. Filmed on Enniscrone Beach on a typical summer's day in Ireland. Rain, sun, sleet, sun, wild Atlantic winds, sun. <laughs> Absolutely right. So she's Spotify, Agus Marshinda Kinta, Agus Afishan, Umtach Dinta Arish, or YouTube, Ach Sholiv and Taron Fane.
And the sound there of Claire Sands with Breedine. And that is the third in that series that she's been producing all year. I mean, like, she's the most amazing musician, singer, composer, arranger, multi-instrumentalist. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic to have somebody like her in Cork. Now, obviously, for this particular series, she's traveling all over the country and spending, as it happens, actually, quite a lot of time on the West Coast. <laughs> But that's, I suppose, where she's being really inspired by the wild Atlantic ways. So she closets herself away for a week or so with uh, another musician. And over the course of the week, they come up and produce and film an entire song from start to finish. And it's a great project where it's been a macaronic one, where she's had that blend of English and Irish in all of the songs. Uh, it's a great series and a great one to kind of have been born out of an idea that came in lockdown. And I'm really, really delighted. In fact, we'll have to get Claire on the phone. We just didn't get a chance to do it this week. We'll have to get her and see what's up next. I know Liam O'Mwainley is her next collaborator for Autumn, but it's been a great, great series so far and I've really enjoyed catching up with her. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be heading to news with Jess next.